I'm a firm believer in the idea that video games are the natural evolution of storytelling as a narrative medium. So back in the old days, we used to just tell stories by the elders passing it down to the youngins around a campfire. And then those youngins would grow old, tell those same stories to their youngins. And then that would repeat for generations and generations. That's how we got all the stories of Odysseus and the gods of Olympus and the ancient uh, Roman gods fighting it out. And then it eventually evolved and we would write those stories down and you'd get those stories written out so you could read them and pass those stories down to people. Then that eventually evolved into like stagecraft where you're actually performing it and you're playing out these roles on stage in front of people and it's this really unique magical experience because it only happens in that instance it's not recorded like it is in a book or in a novel it's there and it's it's pure in its instance in that moment and then eventually that evolved into film where we could go broader and you could capture that brief moment that instance and then share it with the rest of the world for years and years and years, however long you wanted to do it. And then we eventually evolved to the point where we got video games and all of a sudden we could add interactivity into that mix. Now, some people love narrative video games. Some people hate them. I totally understand that. And if you're somebody who just plays video games for the gameplay, aren't really interested in the games that tell broad stories, like anything from Naughty Dog, or in many cases, like CD Projekt Red, or the Bethesda Game Studios of old. And all of that's fine. You don't have to like narrative games, but I think it's important to recognize just how powerful a medium video games are when it comes to narrative storytelling. And as a result of it, I kind of wanted to, to prove to everybody that there are some incredibly beautiful and subtle moments in video games that should be celebrated and can be compared to any number of films or beautiful moments of acting anywhere else that you look. And so in this video, we're going to look at a couple examples of subtle performances in film, on stage, and then we're also going to contrast them with some of my favorite moments from video game narratives that I also find highly interesting and engaging. Really, this is just a chance for me to talk about movies and plays and games that I like. So it's my channel. <laughs> now, whenever we talk about narratives in video games, you have to bring up The Last of Us. The Last of Us, for many people, was the greatest video game narrative experience that had ever happened before and for some people since. It is an incredible experience. And if you haven't had it, go check it out right now because i'm sort of gonna spoil the first 10 minutes of it now i guess basically what happens is in the first 10 minutes of the game joel the protagonist his daughter gives him a brand new watch to celebrate his birthday and uh it's it's a cute moment it's honest it's pure it's intriguing it's beautiful and that watch really means a lot to Joel because as the night goes on the zombie apocalypse breaks out and sarah is lost in the process now, as the years go by, Joel doesn't get rid of this watch. He keeps it because it's the last physical reminder he has of his daughter. Everything else physical in this world has gone to absolute hell, but he's kept that watch, even though it's broken by the time we get back to see him and it's it's cracked and it, it clearly doesn't work. It's still a physical reminder that's always with him on his wrist of his daughter and the experience that he had with her before everything went to hell. Now, in a lesser game or a lesser narrative, this would just be a cute moment. She gives him a watch and that's about it. Surely after 20 years, the watch got lost or broken or he stopped wearing it. Something happened. But instead, Naughty Dog and Neil Druckmann, the creative director, they decided to make sure that this was a physical and constant reminder for the player so that as you went through the game time and time again, if you were paying attention, you would get the same uh, narrative callbacks that Joel was receiving 
as you go through these experiences with Ellie, your new companion, uh, effectively. For instance, there's this moment you're exploring some of the rooftops, you're trying to get to one location so that you can get Ellie safe and deliver her, get your payload and get out of there. And uh, Ellie has a, a little, uh, I guess you could call it a quip that she makes at Joel in this sequence, and I'll, I'll just let it play, let it sizzle, and keep an eye on the watch. All right, now watch your step as you're going up, because it's gonna be a little... <laughs> Everything you hoped for? Jury's still out. But man, can't deny that view. Come on, this way. Hey, let's pick it up. With something as simple as just leaving Joel there, even with arms crossed, just glancing down at the watch letting that moment sizzle, where he's seeing his daughter in Ellie in that moment. And he looks down, he sees that physical reminder of his daughter. And you can see that little gear turning in his head where he's getting some of those same emotions coming back into his life that have been dormant for so, so long. It's a subtle, subtle choice, but narratively it's incredibly significant. And this isn't the only time that this happens. It happens repeatedly throughout the entire game as you go through. If you're watching, Joel will occasionally, when he's nervous or when he's worried about Ellie, he'll rub his wrist or he'll look down at it. It's, it's incredibly well done and it's super subtle to the point where even now, after I've played this game five, six, seven times, all the way through, I'm still seeing new instances where it gets me thinking. And every time it happens, it reminds the player and Joel of Sarah, and it brings all of those emotions back, but it also allows you to appreciate Ellie all the more because she's bringing those emotions back. Now let's contrast this with one of my favorite films of last year, which was A Star Is Born. If you haven't seen it, watch it now. It's great. I think it should have won all the Oscars. I'm kind of a fanboy. Now, I'm not going to spoil the whole movie because, of course, I want you to go and watch it. It's fantastic. But I am going to talk about a moment that happens towards the end of the story and a moment that happens relatively early on and how their callbacks to each other to evoke those same emotions and to parallel each other. Quick rundown, Jackson is a drunk. He's a, a rock star, effectively, whose best days are behind him. He's sick, but he is in love with this girl, Allie, and she gives his life purpose, but he's constantly reminded and he's terrified of the fact that he may be holding her back or he may not be good enough for her after all. Even though at the start of the film, he's a rock star and she's a nobody, where he feels like he's got all the power and he's everything and she's nothing, as they slowly switch places, he starts to feel more and more inadequate. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And so this contrast and this, this conflict is constantly brought up in his performance. One of the reasons I think Bradley Cooper did such a good job. So basically what happens here in this moment is that Jackson Maine, Bradley Cooper's character, is laying on the bed. She, Allie, comes into the room and they kind of cuddle and they talk a little bit. Allie's career at this point is blowing up. She's basically becoming Lady Gaga. She's everywhere and having incredible successes all over the place. And earlier that day, she found out that she was going to go on a European tour uh, in addition to the rest of her tour of the States. And Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson, actually says... A European tour this early on, that's a pretty crazy thing. That's a great achievement. That's not easy to do. So she's killing it. And then in this moment, she comes back and she says, 
well, we've canceled the European leg, so I'm going to be here with you all summer. And she makes it act like it was kind of a joint decision. But in reality, the decision to cancel the European leg of the tour was because she couldn't bring Jackson because Jackson was seen as a liability because of some other stuff that happens in the movie. No spoilers. As you would expect, he feels unbelievably guilty about this and highly conflicted. And in this scene, you see these gears turning where he's starting to blame himself. And then a cute little moment happens that echoes something that happened earlier on in the movie. But I'm going to let this scene play first. Tonight's going to be my last show. Going out with a bang at the forum. Great. Yeah. Why don't you come with me? We can take a shower together. The fans will go crazy to see you. Come on, cowboy. No, I'm not okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll have a car come get you when I once I get there. Let me meet you there. I'll see you soon, okay? Hey. And this is actually a direct callback to earlier in the film when he first met Allie and he took her out on the town and they drove around in his car and then finally he drops her off at her house and then this happens. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. <laughs> And so after meeting this girl who he's absolutely obsessed with, he's amazed by, he calls out to her and says, I just wanted to get one more look at you. And then she does the nose thing and it's super cute and it's, it's adorable. But in that moment, he didn't know if he was ever going to see her again. In fact, it, there's reason to believe that he didn't think he was ever going to see her again because she was playing so hard to get. And he just think he, he thought that he blew it. I mean, he thought that he blew it. And it's no coincidence that the exact same line happens towards the end of the movie as Jackson decides what he's going to do to solve this problem, to take himself out of the equation. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see her again. In fact, he doesn't believe he's ever going to see her again. So he echoes that line. And immediately when he said it towards the end of the movie, I knew how this was going to end. No spoilers, but I knew how this was going to end and where this was going because it echoed back to that first moment when you didn't know whether or not he was going to make it or whether or not he was going to see her ever again. 
Again, these narrative callbacks have a lot to do with echoing an emotion. So you feel an initial emotion over here, then later on in the story that something happens to call back to that first event, and you feel that same emotion. With The Last of Us, you feel that, that love, but also terror of losing your daughter that you felt in the initial moments of the game. And you also, when you encounter that later, you feel the same terror and fear, but also comfort and love for Ellie even though they're different characters in a different spot 20 years later, you still feel the same emotion. Now, another video game related example would be Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I know what you're thinking. Assassin's Creed in a narrative focused video, what the hell are you doing? I know, but I actually have a reason to do this. Now, I'm a firm believer that Ubisoft is not getting enough credit because they put a lot of effort into these moments. And you're about to see an example of one of these moments now. Early on in the game, one of the main characters, Phoebe, who's effectively like your protagonist's character's uh, sister, effectively. It's an adopted sister, so she's not actually related to you, but she's very near and dear to you. And early on in the game, in the first 10 hours or so, she's everywhere, and you see her all the time, and she's a major presence. But as you leave, she gives you a wooden eagle that's, that's just carved out of a block of wood, but she gives it to you, and she says that this is going to protect you. It's going to, to be with you. And uh, eventually she'll come back, she'll find you and everything will be good and there'll be a family again and blah, blah, blah. Kind of typical sappy dialogue where you're meant to be like, oh, I love you, come here, I love you, bye. That sort of thing. Now, when this moment happens, there's a lullaby that plays in the music in the background. So it's very subtle and most people are probably not going to notice it. But what you'll notice is that repeatedly as Phoebe comes up in the story after that point, the same lullaby with some tweaks and changes to it occurs. So it's Phoebe's theme, effectively, which is very common in film. Usually each major character has some sort of theme associated with them that comes up repeatedly and repeatedly. It's why you can be watching a scene and start thinking about Iron Man, even though you're watching the Hulk. It's because they signaled that before and it's Iron Man's theme that starts playing before he even enters the frame. It's our brains work in really weird ways, especially with sound and music. So it's it's been done before, but it's also done here. As you explore Greece, there are many times where you'll find the same statue of an eagle that is blown up and it's carved out of stone, and when you pass by it, the same theme plays. Initially, I thought it was just Ubisoft recycling models, which is pretty common, especially for a game of this unbelievable scale, to model a bird and then echo it everywhere else, bunch of statues, you just copy and paste effectively. And that is sort of what happened here they just copy and pasted the model and then retextured it as a stone statue instead of a wood one but they took the steps to add the music back in so that when you encounter that as you explore this world i found myself thinking back to phoebe who was stuck on a small island in the middle of nowhere way far away from me even though i was exploring something you know three four five six kilometers away I was called back to that just because of the music and because of the look of the statue. And some people would say, well, maybe that's not intentional. And if there weren't the music there, I would agree. But the fact that the music stacks and only applies to that particular instance of the eagle being there, that to me seems beyond a reasonable doubt. Further evidence is that later on in the story, something happens to Phoebe and the location where this something happens is right next to two statues of these same eagles. So as you go in to see what happened to her, you are encountering these statues again and the music plays. It, it's pretty clear. And these sort of physical callbacks, again, are not new or original to gaming or to movies. It's been done before. One of my favorite instances of it happening is in Les Miserables, uh, the, 
famous film from 2012 with Hugh Jackman starring as Jean Valjean, one of my favorite musicals of all time. One of the common threads and common themes in the film is the imagery of the silver candlesticks. And basically what happens is that early on in the film, Jean Valjean, if you're not familiar with the story, he's a convict. He, he went to prison and then tried to escape and they got even more time. And finally, he's released on parole. He goes out. The world treats him terribly and he decides that this world is evil and they've turned on him. God's turned his back on him. He's all alone and nobody is going to feel any sort of compassion for him. Eventually, he wanders into a church's courtyard and tries to sleep there because it's freezing cold, it's snowing, there's nowhere else to go, everyone else treats him terribly. And eventually, the priest comes out, finds him, Jean Valjean is startled, but the priest welcomes him into the church, into the house, and gives him food, gives him water, gives him wine, gives him warmth, he gives him a bed to sleep on, and shows him compassion and even prays for him and says that he has a soul and he's his brother. And this affects Jean Valjean in a really strange way where he doesn't know if this is real, he feels conflicted, but he's still so bitter in his heart that he decides to wake up in the middle of the night, steal a bunch of the silver and get out, try to sell the silver and make a new life for himself by doing that. Some guards catch him relatively quickly, bring him back to the church, and then this whole thing happens. Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for As the following scene plays out in the song itself, it's called Jean Valjean's Soliloquy. He's conflicted because he doesn't know what to do with this. The priest actually gave him the silver. He just was robbed. And then he says, you forgot these, these candlesticks. Take them. This is my sign of generosity. I've saved your soul for God. I, I'm doing this so that your soul may be saved because you're my brother. And even though you're in the dumps, you still have just as much worth as me having all of this silver. It's a sign of pure mercy, generosity, and grace that totally destroys Jean Valjean of old. And that's why at the end of the soliloquy, he says another story must begin, and he tears up the papers and throws them into the sky. And all throughout the rest of the movie, you see these candlesticks 
in Jean Valjean's property all over the place. So you'll see it in this shot, you'll see it in that shot. And every time you see it, it's meant to call back to that initial moment of mercy and grace so that you can remember just how far Jean Valjean has come and what he's trying to mimic and what he's trying to echo, which is the mercy and the grace of that initial priest. And these callbacks don't have to be physical. They don't have to be verbal or audible. They can even just be something as simple as a gesture or some sort of expulsion, like a cough. Now, before we jump into it, I am going to spoil pretty much all of Red Dead Redemption 2, so be warned. Early on in the game, Arthur Morgan goes off and he's trying to collect on unpaid debts from various clients to help the camp and to get some money in. And eventually he goes and he finds this individual who's coughing up a storm, clearly sick, but he goes, he kind of beats him up and he tries to get his money back. It's whatever. It's just another mission. You don't think much of it. Turns out the dude had tuberculosis. He got the tuberks. And as the game goes on, Arthur Morgan starts coughing more and more. And this is something that you see initially first in chapter five a lot, where he starts to cough up a lot and then he starts to cough up blood and in cutscenes he's coughing and heaving. And eventually when you get back to the mainland, you go to the doctor and you find out that you also have tuberculosis and that your prognosis is pretty bad and you're going to die. Now the great thing about tuberculosis, that sounds weird. One of the great things about tuberculosis, narratively speaking, is that there's a physical action that's associated with it so that you always are remembered of what it is and its presence and the fact that it's constantly being held over the characters and there's no escape from it. So with some things such as the Moulin Rouge, every time that Nicole Kidman's character coughs, you're reminded of the fact that she has this illness and there's only one way that this ends. It's not like it, it's going to go any other way. It's like Titanic. Everybody knows how it's going to end. You're just waiting for it to arrive. And so after you hear this dim and grim prognosis from the doctor, every time Arthur coughs in a cutscene or just riding around exploring the map, it really messes with you. And after this, there's consequences to it. So even Arthur's stamina meters are going to drop and it becomes harder to run longer distances as you get towards the end of the game because it's a physical reaction to this real presence. And it's not just a presence that exists in some cutscenes. It's something that even affects the gameplay loop. Again, one of the biggest assets video games have as a narrative device is the fact that they can implement interactivity. So once they start to change that interactivity for the sake of the narrative or in response to something that happened within the narrative, it takes it to a a whole nother level. Whereas in film, somebody starts coughing, such as in Moulin Rouge, you can't really do much about it. It doesn't affect you watching the film. But in Red Dead Redemption 2, everything that you were doing before, whether it's hunting, whether it's going around fighting bandits or whatever it may be, all of a sudden that's altered permanently because of this event in the narrative. But those are just a few examples that I could think of. I would love to hear your examples that you have down in the comment section below, because after all, I'm a firm believer that video games are the natural evolution of narrative storytelling, which is why I think it's good and should be lauded when we're able to discuss video games and plays and novels and musicals all at the same time, because they're all in the same family. They're all telling stories. And of course, some video games are purely about the gameplay. I love playing first person shooters or, or battle royale games as much as, as the next guy. But I think there is a real 
important place in our culture and society for video games as an artistic medium. And we should praise and, and laud the developers who create these narrative experiences that can go up and compete and trade blows with some of the greatest films that have been made in recent memory. But that's all for me. Thank you for watching, honestly and truly. I really do appreciate it. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video.